I'm sure you did, um, that on Thursday night, Dr. Long's choir and some of our choir members and folks from the community, they're going to join together uh, to sing the Easter cantata that we heard on last Sunday. Uh, so that's Thursday at Blue Mountain College at, at 7. So we encourage you to come and support them uh, and to have a great time of worship there as well. Now, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, and if you don't, there should be one there in the pew rack before you, so I encourage you to get it. But I invite you to turn with me uh, to Colossians chapter 2, where we will begin our reading this morning in verse 6. Now, as you turn there, uh, let me say that I'm sure many of you uh, expected that we might suspend our study in Colossians this morning uh, in order to focus on one of those resurrection passages that uh, we so associate with this day. I mean, after all, it, it is Easter. Uh, but let me assure you that that was my plan. But then, then uh, in the Lord's providence, I, I looked at this passage that will soon be before us. And what I realized is that God, not surprisingly, in his great wisdom, has worked things out just the way that they needed to be. Um, and I say it so often, and I know y'all are tired of me saying it, but I would love to tell you that I planned this with this sort of precision, with this sort of accuracy, but the truth is, is that up until about two weeks ago, I didn't even know when Easter was, okay? So I can assure you that I did not do this. And it is with that confidence, the confidence that God has guided us to this place, and it is with no small sense of wonder that I now encourage you to follow along as we read this God's word together from Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, and we'll read down through verse 15. Let's hear God's word. It says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, it is with eagerness, it is with a sense of confidence, um, and it is with confidence that, that we know you speak to us, you speak to your people, and it's with that knowledge that we now approach this, your holy scripture. Father, each of us has come here today uh, with our own circumstances, with our own struggles, and even with our own sins. 
Yet each of us is the same in that we desperately need to hear from you, our creator and our God. And so we ask that you would, through the work of your Holy Spirit, open our ears and open our hearts so that we might behold wondrous things in this your word. We ask that you would, through it, lead us to the only source of life and peace, the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ the King, in whose name we ask it. Amen. Well, I'm sure, uh, for those of you who are with us on Wednesday nights, uh, many of you have probably noticed uh, that as I'm setting up to project our, our song lyrics on the wall, that I am using a laptop that some might call, in fact, many have called, many of you have called, outdated. You know, the youth have made fun of me. Certain youth workers that shall remain nameless have made fun of me. And it is the source of great discontent for one church secretary, one Miss Dana Hall. Now... Before I give her too hard of a time, let me assure you that she only has my best interests at heart. But just this week, just this week, she very passionately, very passionately made the case for why it was time for me to move on to something newer, something better, something uh, just nicer than, than what I'm currently using. Now, my response to that was not to argue the merits of newer technology, uh, not to point out the, the cost savings that we are experiencing by me sticking with what I have. Rather, my response was simply this. Why would I look for something else when what I have seems to be sufficient to cover all my computing needs? <laughs> Why do I need more? Yes, my laptop is old. And yes, it is the size of a not really small dog, but, but it gets the job done, and in that sense, it's all I'll ever need. Now, I begin there this morning because in a much greater way, as we think about sufficiency, as we think about that question of why would we choose to look elsewhere, why would we ever need anything else, Paul confronts us with this passage that is before us. And what he is essentially trying to ask his readers is why would you leave? Why would you look to anything else when all you need is right before you? Those of you who have been with us, you'll recall that Paul really from the opening verse of Colossians has proclaimed to us the excellencies the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Particularly in verses 15 through 20, he declared that Christ was both the Lord of creation, the divine, eternal one, and that he's also the Lord of redemption, the one who has died for us, the one who by his sacrifice has made us his people. In effect, he has said, Jesus is all and more than you will ever need. But, uh, as is so often the case in a fallen world, uh, the Colossians are facing challenges. Challenges that, that seem to bring that, that sufficiency of Christ into question. 
You know, we, we've seen that there are false teachers on the scene. Certainly, these are first century Christians, so there are difficult circumstances that they are facing. And we can also be sure that they are wrestling with their own sin. And all of those things together are tempting them to believe falsehoods. All of those things together are tempting them to forget God's goodness. Maybe they're even tempted to fall away completely. So, Paul, once again, and you remember in another letter he wrote, he says, it's, it's not a, a problem for me to say the same things over and over and over to you again. Actually, it's good for me and it's good for you is what he says. And here, essentially, he's doing the same thing. He's repeating what he's already said. But friends, the fact that he's doing it means that we need to hear it. In short, he is going to lay out how sufficient Christ and his work really are once again... And the question that I want all of us to ask, each one of us, if you're here today, I want you to ask this question. Why would we go anywhere else? Now, in one sense, the world has not changed all that much in the 2,000 years since Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians. We still, all of us, and you know this better than I do, I don't have to tell you this, we all face challenges. We all wrestle with our own sin. We live in a world of false teachers and of falsehoods. And so, just like these folks, our temptation often is to fall away. It's to look elsewhere. I want you to take away this morning. The fact that there is no better place to go. That all of those things out there, all of those things that we have just mentioned, they are lesser. They are far lesser than Christ. He is all you'll ever need. So let's look at it together. The first thing I want you to notice in this passage is an urgent warning. Now, if you have your outline there with you, I put them out there. I hope you got one. I encourage you to follow along. But it's an urgent warning, and you see it there in verse 8. Paul says, see to it. More literally, look carefully or watch out. Y'all know we spend the majority of our time either here or on a baseball field. And the problem with being on the baseball field is that my wife is a baseball magnet and so, like, when we get out of the car, she is on watch. She is wary for foul balls, anything that's going thrown balls. If it can hit her, it will. So she is always on guard. Well, that's what Paul is saying to you here. When you go out into the world, be wary. Be on watch. Be on the lookout. Notice what you're on the lookout for. See to it that no one takes you Captive. Now, the, the Greek verb there that's translated takes you, take you captive. This is the only place in biblical Greek where that particular word is used. But outside of the Bible, it was often associated with pirates, those who would come and plunder cargo ships and would take the plunder away. And so, as one commentator says, the warning seems to be 
Don't be carried off as plunder by an alien or fundamentally anti-Christian philosophy or teaching or worldview. To put it another way, basically what he's saying is don't be duped. Don't be tricked by what amounts to empty deceit. Right? That's the word he uses, empty deceit. Empty deceit which comes through, first, human tradition. In other words, from the thoughts and the wills and the hearts of men. Now I'm about to say something hard here, but it's the truth of Scripture, so we need to hear it. But those hearts of men are hearts that have been tainted by sin. Hearts that are deceitful above all things, Jeremiah says. Hearts whose evil intentions, our Lord says, brings forth sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and covetedness and wickedness and deceitfulness and sensuality and envy and slander and pride and foolishness. Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 22. Our Lord said that. That's what's in men's hearts. He says, don't be taken away by that. Also, don't be taken away. That empty deceit is made up of the elemental spirits of the world. Essentially, the the demonic. Satan. Yes, there is a spiritual realm. And yes, Satan is active in it. He is the great accuser. He is a murderer. He hates God. Paul says, don't be taken away by him. And it's empty deceit that, that stands in contrast to Christ, right? It's opposed to Jesus there at the verse, the end of verse 8. Now, let's be honest. When we put it that way, when we list all of those various sins, certainly we're on guard, right? We recognize, all right, maybe I need to watch out a little bit if this is the truth of my heart, if this is the truth of He who is out in the world. Maybe I, I need to, to be more wary Maybe even our hearts say, hey, why would we follow the hearts of men? Why would we follow our own hearts or Satan when we know that that they mean us no good? Friends, the, the point that I want to make to you here as we consider this urgent warning, what Paul recognizes in each of us, what's true for my heart and your heart as well, is that all of us are so easily drawn in. All of us are so easily taken captive. You know, men, maybe it's men who are in authority. Maybe it's our neighbors. Maybe it's our friends at school. They espouse some new philosophy, some new worldview. Maybe it's a religion, you know, maybe Scientology or Buddhism or something like that. Maybe it's just personal autonomy. Maybe it's relativism. You know, everything, you just do your thing and I'll do my thing and that'll all be great, right? We think, you know, that doesn't sound too bad, actually. That sounds pretty good. It feels right to me. But before we know it, without really realizing it, friends, we are captive. And there's Satan. And he says to us, just as he did in the beginning to Eve, Did God really say? Did He really say these things to you? And before we know it, like her, we are questioning God's goodness. We're questioning His good intentions toward us. 
And so some, you know, they turn to, to drugs, some turn to sexual immorality, maybe some even outright deny God, but friends, others. And I imagine this is the majority of us in this building today, so I want you to hear me now. Maybe most of us just slowly and subtly begin to fade away from God. We begin to slowly and subtly fade away from His people, from the church. Let's be honest. That form of captivity, that slow, sort of subtle fade away, it usually doesn't look like or feel like captivity in any traditional sense. The simple fact is, is it is captivity. It is living in opposition to Christ. You remember Jesus said, there is no middle ground. You are for me, you are against me. You remember on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings, that great showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And he says to the people of Israel, how long are you going to go on sitting on the fence? Don't sit on the fence. If God is the real God, then follow Him. If Baal is the real God, then follow Him. But there is no middle ground. Well, friends, too often we want to walk the middle ground. The philosophy of the world. Do what you want. Be your own God. The teachings of men, even the schemes of Satan, they look really appealing to us. And it's because our hearts are sinful things. We love it. I'm just going to be completely honest with you. The reason why sin has a hold in our hearts is because I and you, we love it. We love it. So we got to be on guard. Constantly looking out. Constantly being wary of Satan who is prowling. Maybe more to the point, this morning at least, if sin is that good, if we love it so much, why should we stick it out with Christ? Why should we stick it out with Jesus? So there's the warning to us. Paul says, be on the lookout, be wary. Then secondly, in answer to that question, he gives us an urgent warning. Urgent warning. The simple fact is, is if we're going to be wary, if we're going to oppose the world and human tradition, then friends, there has to be an alternative which is more powerful and more glorious and more beautiful and more life-giving and more sufficient than what any of those things can offer us, okay? For instance, I can stand up here and I can tell you that my mother's chili is the best chili on the face of the earth. And it is. And she's right here. And so if I didn't say that, I'd get in trouble when I left. But it really is. I'm not just saying that because she's right here. It really is. But me saying it to you, does that convince you? No. You need to see it. You need to smell it. You need to taste it. And I assure you, when you see it and taste it and smell it, you will know that it is indeed better. Friends, if we're going to follow Jesus... If we're going to say this morning that He truly is better than all that out in the world, then we need to see Him, and we need to taste Him, and we need to submit. We need to, we need to hold Him. We need to see Him intimately. We need to recognize who He is. Well, praise be to God. 
Paul shows us. Okay? So three things here I want you to see. Paul reveals to us, as he's done so clearly in chapter 1, but he does it again. Who is Jesus? Verse 9. He is the one in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In other words, Jesus is God in the flesh, in the incarnation, and even now in his glorification, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. He dwells in a human body, in a human body, human flesh. And so in approaching Jesus, what we find is not just humanity as we know it. No, this is sinless, perfect humanity. And when he speaks, what we hear, friends, are not theories or opinions or what the guy down the street wants to say to us. No, what we hear are the words of God himself. The words of the triune God. In other words, his is not subjective or personal opinion, but his is truth. His is objective, unchanging, required truth. And so to see Christ is to see God. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. Therefore, not an iota, as Bill reminded us of Thursday very well, not an iota of what he says will pass away. We may reject it, we may ignore it, we may doubt it, but his truth is the only truth that will stand. All else will pass away, but he will stand. Now, I've I've overworked that point, but I've done it for a reason. Because everything else you experience in life, and you know this, everything else that is yours changes. The world changes, you change, I change, the church changes. Everything changes. Everything ends. Everything eventually goes away. But guess what? Jesus does not change. He is solid now and tomorrow and forevermore. We need something eternal. Jesus is eternal. Therefore, as we continue to see who Jesus is, he is in verse 10, the head of all rule and authority. No man, uh, no ruler, no athlete, no movie star, no king, not even Satan, no power in heaven and on earth is greater than or can overcome King Jesus there at the end of verse 10. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. We've said it this morning. We said it last week. But his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At his name, all of creation will one day bow, willingly or not. And so in his person. He is fully God, and He is fully man, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, friends, if that was all I had to say to you about Jesus this morning, if that was the only truth that I could stand up here and say about Him, that He is God in the flesh, that He is eternal, let me ask you this. What's better than that? Who is better than that? 
What, what, what can you find in this world that is going to be any more, give you any more than that? The answer is nothing. There is no one, there is no thing that is better than that. But Paul's not done yet. He also reveals to us here what Christ has done. And he doesn't just spell it out in all of its fullness, but as we have read through chapter 1 already, and as we know our word, as we know the Bible, we can kind of fill in the gaps here. We, we see in this passage his atoning death. You go back to chapter 1 and in verse 22, it says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh, how? By his death, that the perfect, sinless Savior freely gave himself on the cross in order to fulfill the plan of God, to take the wrath, the punishment our sins deserved. Now, don't miss, don't miss verse 14 in our passage today. It is, um, it's worth memorizing, it's worth writing wherever, right? He has done it by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, and here it is, nailing it where? To the cross. He has died. He has died to take our sin, nailed our sins to the cross. He has become sin on our behalf. And then, secondly, he was buried, really, truly dead. Not just a little dead, not half dead, but really dead. And thirdly, he was raised again in verse 12. While we're here today, right? He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus, in his death, burial, and resurrection, he overcame the rulers and authorities of this world. He overcame the powers of sin and Satan and death. He has openly, he says, and I like that verse too, he has openly put them all to shame. He has triumphed. He is the victor. He is reigning at the right hand of the Father. And from there, there, he is both the our advocate, interceding on our behalf, and he is the judge who will rule and who will judge the living and the dead, who will bring all to account. And so to sum it up, he is the lamb on the throne, and he is the lion of Judah who has done all that needed to be done to secure our salvation, salvation for his people. Now again, I ask you, who has done more for you than Jesus? He has loved you. He has died for you. He has given you a new identity. He has given you new purpose, an identity that lasts, that matters. Purpose that lasts and matters. He has given that to you. Who else can do that? Not your spouse. Not your friends, not this world, not the government. Nobody else can give you that, not even ourselves. So why would we go anywhere else? That's twice, but he's still not done. Finally, let me show you what he offers. Paul reveals it to us, what Jesus offers to us. And we'll move through these quickly. First, he offers you forgiveness. You may have walked through those doors this morning and you may not have been thinking, hey, I need forgiveness today. But friends, let me assure you that you do. Ben's children's sermon and what Paul says here says it well. The record of debt has been stacked against us. We have stacked it. 
We have run up the debt over and over and over again, and there is no way, just like there's no way we could pay back those trillions, there's no way that we can pay it back. But in Christ, the debt is paid once and for all, so that now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has separated sin from us as far as the east is from the west. In Christ, friends, there is real, lasting, and true forgiveness. You don't have to bear the weight of sin anymore. You don't have to bear the weight of guilt anymore. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive them. Take a deep breath, everybody. He will really and truly forgive you. Nobody else can do that. Secondly, he offers us circumcision. And I know you didn't come through the door thinking that you needed that. But that's what he says to us here, right? And it's not a circumcision made with hands. But I want you to think back to the Old Testament. What did that sign, that seal, that sacrament there, what did it represent to God's people? It was membership in the covenant family of God, right? It was the the wiping away of sin. They were to be holy to God. And it was the promise. It was a reminder of the promise to Abraham that he would make him a great nation. Well, friends, guess what? In Christ, he has done all of those things. Now we are circumcised, not in the flesh, but in our hearts. That's what Jeremiah 31, the new covenant, is all about. The law is written on our hearts. The old man, the sinful man has been cut away. We are now kingdom people with all the saints under our Savior and our King. No longer does sin reign. No longer are you enslaved to it if you are in Christ. But He has removed it. He has cut it away. Thirdly, He offers you life. Life. Verse 13, alive together with Him. You know, look, Again, I don't have to tell you this. But if you turn on your TV, if you turn on whatever, Hulu or whatever we do these days, I don't know. What are you going to find? People who want to live. They, they, they go to great lengths. They jump out of airplanes, which is crazy. Some of you may have done that, no offense. They, they jump off of bridges. They do all of these things because they want to live really and truly. I would submit to you that's not real life. Real life is in Him. Real life is in Him now. But real life, eternal life, is in Him always, forevermore. Let me ask you this. How do I have confidence today? And we prayed this in our pastoral prayer. But how do I have confidence today that those loved ones who we have lost in the past six months, how... How do I know that they are safe in Christ? How do I know, how do I have hope that there's something beyond this, that I'm going to see them again one day? The answer is because the tomb was empty. And Jesus was and is alive. I've said this before, and I'll probably say it a hundred more times, but the resurrection is no footnote It's not just a tail end of what Christ's work is. It's certainly not an optional piece. 
If he is not alive, Paul says, then we are most to be pitied. Because we are still dead in our sins. But the truth of Scripture is is that he is alive. Every day he is alive. And because he's alive, we will live live forevermore. Eternal. Resurrection life. You know, I don't think this hymn is in our Trinity hymnal, but I grew up in the Baptist church and we sang it all the time. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives... All fear is gone. Because I know, no, he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. This is resurrection life, not just in eternity. This is resurrection life now. Real life now. Fourthly, he offers you complete victory. Now, if you're competitive like I am, that sounds real good. Complete victory in verse 10. In other words, as his people, we share in his power and his rule. Somehow, somehow we share in his complete victory. Now, one last time, I ask you, isn't he better? Isn't he more beautiful Isn't he worth far more than anything this world has to offer you? Your identity, your purpose, your real life, your real meaning, your hope, your security, your peace. None of it can be found apart from him. And so, as we try to bring this to a close, because I know we're all ready to go. Thirdly and finally, I want you to notice an urgent command. And it's an urgent command that seems obvious at this point. It seems like a no-brainer given all that we have said. Look at verse 6. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, now go walk in Him consistently, boldly, sacrificing all for Him. Romans 12, right? This is our, our reasonable sacrifice of worship. Our whole lives. Sacrifice to the one who has loved us so completely. Walk in him, rooted and built up in him, the only sure foundation. That old, old story that we love to tell. Friends, it's, it's, it's a good one, and it's the best one, and it's the only true one. And go out abounding in thanksgiving for all he has done. This is a, a life of obedience, to be sure. This is a life of sacrifice to Christ. But this is a life resting in Him. And we do it not merely because He demands it, though He does. We don't do it merely because He will judge us if we don't, though He will. We do it, complete obedience, complete sacrifice, because He is, and no one else or nothing else is, He alone is worthy. He alone is beautiful enough. He alone, friends, hear me now as we come back to where we began. He is all you will ever need. Now look, I said it in the beginning, but I'm going to say it again. You don't have to take my word for it. I encourage you not to take my word for it. He invites you to come. And he invites you to taste And he invites you to see how good he truly is. 
He says, whosoever will may come. He invites you. Come and taste of him. Come and see how glorious he really is. One last time. Why would you go anywhere else? For some of you, this this may be your first time in a church in a while. And you may be wrestling with just exactly where you stand with Jesus, of exactly why you would come back next week or the week after that. Paul has shown you why. He loves you. He loves you more than these people, more than I, more than anybody ever will. He loves you dearly. He invites you to come. For others of us, you have known this truth for a while. You have walked with Him for many years. But you need to be reminded. Sin and death and the world is right there with you. Well, again, friends, here He is. In all His sufficiency. So rest and live and find peace in this one who was dead, but now is alive and who reigns victorious now and forevermore. And we say, thanks be to God who has given us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. As we pray together, Father, we do praise you for Jesus. Lord, truthfully, this day can have many meanings to us. But there is one, and it is Christ. He is the story of our lives if we are resting in him. He is the story that we love to tell, and he is the story that we will go on telling forevermore. Lord, how we praise you that in him we have sufficiency. We have all we will ever need. And we pray that you would write that truth on our hearts. Remind us of that reality. Lord, Some of us struggle deeply. We are are hurting. We are in pain. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And so we need you to work this truth in our hearts. We need you even now to hold up to us Jesus. We need you to show us how glorious he really is. Lord, if we're going to walk with him, we have to taste and we have to see. So Lord, now help us to do that. Help us to rest in this one who is the king. Lord, I pray for each heart here. Pray for each person. Don't let us leave this place without looking and asking, where do we stand? And where are we going? Are we going to follow Jesus? Are we going to walk with him? Or we can only walk with him in you. And so we ask that you would work that in us now. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.